furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and said to them, Is it true that you do not worship the image of gold I have set up? If you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then, Nebuchadnezzar ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. In 1940, at the start of World War I, the German forces were pushing against some of the Allied forces, so some of the French and the English. And the German forces were actually gaining some ground in the France area. So they were pushing against these Allied forces, and they decide, so the Allied forces, so the French and the English, decide, okay, it's time to retreat and regroup. So they send their troops there's about 350,000 of them. They send these troops to the beaches of Dunkirk. And they say, if you can get to the beaches of Dunkirk, we'll have some warships ready there for you. And we'll um, evacuate you from there. And we'll regroup and come back and do something again later. So all of these soldiers are retreating to these beaches of Dunkirk. And as they get to Dunkirk, they realize that uh, Germany has figured out what they were going to do. They saw their plan, and Germany sent some airstrikes over top of them and kind of demolished the, the beaches there. They demolished where the warships were going to be able to come up and evacuate them. So they realize as they get to those beaches that there's nothing for them to escape on. There's, there's no way for those warships to come up and they look on the other side of them and they know that German, the German forces are going to be coming up behind them quite shortly. They realize that there's really no good spot for them to go at this point. So one of the British generals relays back, sends a telegraph of sorts. I don't know what that would look like back in 1940. Like a seahorse sends a letter across the channel. I have no idea. But they send this letter across the channel, and it says these three words, but if not. And if I were a, a commander back in that day, I would be explaining my situation a bit more than just in three words. Like, hey, there is no way where we can get out. They are coming towards us. Uh, we're all going to die if you don't come help us, right? There's got to be some answer. What are you going to do about this? But the telegraph only says three words. But if not. 
and they were stuck at the French coast. And when the, these English people received this message, they reacted in such a way. They, the people of England reacted to this in a way that no one could have expected. They got into their boats. They got into their, uh, they had big cruise ships back then too as well. The cruise ships, they got in their private yachts. They found fishing boats. Uh, anything they could do to go over and get their men because they knew that they were in a dire position. And they saved tons and tons of soldiers because of those three words. But if not, why did those three words get such a reaction out of the English? Why does those three words do so much? And that story... Uh, with the answer to those three words, actually comes from the Bible. See, we've been in a series called Brave over the last few weeks, going through Daniel and what bravery looks like through the book of Daniel. And those three words come into a story about this bravery that we've been talking about. See, the three characters we're going to be focusing on today are called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they have been in kind of almost a similar situation as in Dunkirk. They, um, as Israelites, were being pushed by Babylon and were actually captured by Babylon. So they were in the Babylonian exile. And if you remember from Eric's teaching last week, when Daniel was asked to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he goes to three of his friends, um, which are these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they pray about what this dream is and what this dream could mean. So this is where our story picks up, and this is where uh, we're going to be focusing most of our time today. So we're going to be out of Daniel 3, starting in verse 1. And it says this, King Nebuchadnezzar, so we're going to pause here. We didn't get very far, I know, but we're going to pause here for just a minute because King Nebuchadnezzar is a fairly important figure in our story today. Because if you break apart his name, Nebuchadnezzar, okay, so Nebo, Nebo is uh, one of the uh, Babylonian gods. So when people would hear Nebuchadnezzar, they would almost associate King Nebuchadnezzar as being a god. Well, you can imagine quite quickly that King Nebuchadnezzar let this go to his head. He started thinking that, yeah, they're right, I, I am a god. He started using those associations with himself. And you'll realize in this next verse that he may have taken it a bit too far. We continue reading. It says this uh, from Daniel 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Um, and I don't know anything about a cubit, so I had to look that up, like what is a cubit? A cubit is about a foot and a half, so about like your forearm length, not including my hand because I've got way too large of hands, but it's about a foot and a half. So if you do the quick math, 6 cubits, times one and a half, you got about a nine foot base and it's 90 foot tall. So this thing is just monstrous. This statue is huge of himself. King Nebuchadnezzar not only built this huge statue, but he made sure it was made of gold. Like this thing is enormous. And did you catch where he said that he put this statue at? He put it in the plain of Dura. 
You notice that he didn't put it in the forest of Dura or in the mountains of Dura or in the sea of Dura. He put it in the plain that you can see for miles because plains are flat, right? And they're vast and they're long. And you, if something, if there's a large tree, you can see it for a long distance. King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to make sure that when people come to Babylon, they see this huge statue from a long way away. He wanted people to know who he was and how important he was. So let's continue reading. Uh, Verse two, he then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So, the satraps, the prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. So, do you see what King Nebuchadnezzar does here? Right, he has this big statue made of himself, and he invites all of the most important people in the land to come see it for the, almost the ribbon cutting of this big event. He is inviting the, these people here, all the important people, to see that, you know, we're, we're important. We're important in the land. But he wants them to know that, hey, you're not important enough to have a 90-foot gold statue of yourself, right? Remember your place. I'm the one who's important. I'm the one who's in charge, and don't ever forget that. It continues, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, hang on, zither, I have no idea what that is. Next week, Justin, I want you to come out and play the zither on Sunday, okay? I don't know what that looks like, but I want zither, I can't even say it, zither, I want you playing that, that needs to happen. The zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever, so whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and all the peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So what we have here is King Nebuchadnezzar, who made this huge statue, he invited everyone to it. So this is a big party for this unveiling. And he just adds one more level to it of, I want this massive parade when we get there. Like this is a huge deal. I want everyone to know how important I am. It continues in verse eight. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. They're almost saying, right, king, right? That, that's what's what you said? And this is where they go and rat somebody out. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they single these guys out, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. 
Now, King Nebuchadnezzar has a choice. How is he going to respond to these important people knowing that they have found people who are not listening to his laws? He says this, uh, verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these three men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. Right, so he's pretty much saying, maybe there was some confusion about the law I just made. Maybe, th- maybe you just didn't get the memo that when all of this music happens, you're supposed to bow down to me. Maybe something was unclear about that. Here's a second chance. Just bow down, right? Maybe he, he's actually being quite generous, it seems like. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But, Nebuchadnezzar says, but if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Right, King Nebuchadnezzar is placing himself as high as the gods. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So are you catching what happens here? King, King Nebuchadnezzar is, seems to be quite gracious in giving these guys a second chance, saying all you have to do is bow down. We can be clear of all this. I won't kill you. You just have to bow down. See, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are faced with this choice. See, they were godly Jews. They knew the scriptures, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they would know one particular scripture coming out of Psalm 150. Um, And I want to read that first here a minute. It says this, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So in Psalm 150, when that was written, David was... uh, the author of that when that was written those were all of the the instruments that were around then those were the instruments that made music back then and that verse is saying all of these instruments all the known ways to create music should be used to praise God and only God no other God should get the get the worship of those things praise God and only him see and when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were approached by King Nebuchadnezzar and when he's saying, hey, when the horn, the flute, the zither, lyre, and harp, when these forms of music come on, bow down to this statue, immediately they would be thinking, that's, that's not what the scriptures say though. See, we're, we're godly men. We believe in one God and only God and we can respect you, King Nebuchadnezzar, but we will not bow down and worship you. Like we worship the one true God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied in this way in verse 16. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not, we do not need to defend ourselves, defend ourselves before you in this matter. 
If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God will serve, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. So just to be clear, what we're reading now is out of the NIV, and it's a translation that I read most of the time. Uh, Many of you probably read the NIV most of the time. It is a version that is kind of familiar with our ears and the way people talk nowadays. Uh, Back in the mid-1900s, many people would use the King James Version because uh, just like that, the King James Version was written in the tongue that people would use back in that day and age. Uh, And it's, it's a version that where they say these and thou's and thou arts and thou art should do that with thou hand. Like just all of these different these are thrown into there. It's because that is how people would talk. Um, And I want to move from the NIV in this next verse because I think it'll kind of spark some curiosity in you. So it says this, I'll go back one verse. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, our God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Now the NIV continues to say, even if he doesn't. Okay, so it's not very different, but in the King James it says, but if not, but if not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Right, do you catch that? There's those three words from our first story, but if not. Verse 19 continues, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and in his attitude changed towards them. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than normal. And I don't know too much about furnaces, but I do know that I'm sure that King King Nebuchadnezzar's furnace was probably adequate for what uh, he wanted to do to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm sure that furnace was hot enough to make sure they would die if they were thrown in. But he orders it seven times hotter. This is crazy hot. Um, Verse 20 continues, And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, their trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took, who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. See, then King Nebuchadnezzar, he leaped to his feet. He said, look, uh, he, sa- he asked his advisors, advisors weren't, there, weren't there three men that we just tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, uh, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth, he looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisors, all crowded around them. See, these were all those guys who came around the statue, the huge 90-foot statue of King Nebuchadnezzar and were bowing down and celebrating that statue. These were the same group of people. 
And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Remember that, that when these three guys were thrown into the fire, they had all their clothes on. And have you ever come back from a summer night sitting around a fire and you get home and like you smell your shirt and you're like, whoa, like either I started smoking or like I was by a fire for way too long. Like that, that stench just sticks on you and you got to just go wash your clothes right away and go take a shower because the smell of fire and smoke just doesn't go away. And it notes in here that as these three men walk out of the furnace, that they don't even have the smell of smoke on them. And they were in the fire. Uh, Verse 28 continues. Then Nebuchadnezzar said this, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. See, what I love about this story is how engaging this story is. Right? I remember listening and reading this story as a young boy and and whether or not you did that as you were a kid too or this is your first time hearing this story, you almost imagine that, well, of course God is going to show up, right? Of course, God is going to save them from this fire, from King Nebuchadnezzar, because they are firm in their belief. God will save them. Of course, that happens. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they're approaching Nebuchadnezzar and as they're being threatened with the furnace, they they don't know what's going to happen. We, we can read the end of the story and say, oh yeah, of course that happened. But they didn't know the end of the story. Right? They knew their God was miraculous. They had read and heard about the stories when God uh, freed all the Israelites from Egypt and how God parted the way of the Red Sea uh, so that they could get across to escape from Egypt who was uh, coming after them. Right? They heard all of these miracles that God could do. They believed in that God. But they also heard the stories of recently when uh, some of the judges who were giving the good news about who God was and warning people about the disasters that were to come, some of those judges were killed by kings like King Nebuchadnezzar. Right? They knew that even righteous men, sometimes God didn't answer their prayers and they they were killed. They knew those stories. So as they were approaching the furnace, they knew that their God could save them, but they didn't know how that was going to turn out. But if not. You see, these three words were instantly recognized by the people of England in our story of Dunkirk. Right? They knew, just like Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the Bible and knew the Psalm 150 about uh, about how instruments were only supposed to be used for the praise of God. The people in England would know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they would hear the, but if not. And that clicked for them knowing that, oh, our troops are in a dire situation. See, our troops are in trouble. The situ- they, the, 
by saying those three words, the but if not, their situation was clear. It was desperate. The allied forces were trapped and they knew that it would take a miracle. The soldiers knew that it would take a miracle to save them. But if not, they were determined to not give in by saying those three little words, but if not, their message came through loud and clear. See, Winston Churchill uh, made an estimate that about 50,000 of the troops who were on the, on the beaches of Dunkirk should have been saved. Right, that is uh, one of the highest estimates of how many should have been saved by being able to bring boats back and forth from the English Channel before the German forces were on the beach. Um, and over those next few days, what they realized is over 338,000 people were saved because of the people in England going back and forth with their boats. Right, 50,000 was, was a high estimate of what they could do. This was something miraculous. Right, God showed up in a way that they couldn't even expect and shouldn't have even been possible because we serve a miraculous God. And here's a side note, uh, kind of a different story here. Six years after um, that, that day, about six years later, in 1946, um, something absolutely spectacular happened. Um, it's something that's known around the world. If you're like, I, guy, I don't know what 1946, what happened, in, shame on you. Because uh, in 1946, Chick-fil-A opened their first restaurant. Oh, what a great day, right? The world celebrated. There was happiness everywhere. Um, and just so you know, I am a Red Level member in Chick-fil-A, in case any of you were wondering. But Chick-fil-A opened in 1946. And just like restaurants today, uh, revenue is an important factor, right? You want to be able to make money in the restaurant business, and sometimes that is hard to do. Uh, so what restaurants have been doing for years and years and years now is they take every chance they can to make money. Right? And sometimes that means opening on Sunday to have that extra day a week to make that money. But Chick-fil-A founder and owner from the very first week said that, you know, I believe in what God says in the Bible that the Sabbath is designed uh, to rest. And he said, I don't want my employees working on the Sabbath. I don't want it to be about money. Um, and I don't know if I'll make it in the long run. I don't know if this Chick-fil-A thing will be popular. So, but if not, I'm still not going to make it all about profit that, that we're forced to work on Sundays. So from that day, Chick-fil-A has not opened on any Sundays. And in 2018, so two years ago, it, over the course of a year, Chick-fil-A in the United States um, uh, earned over $10 billion. $10 billion. They're doing really well now, and they're still not opened on Sundays. And if you do the math, um, Typically, restaurants on Sundays can make about 14% of their earnings. So that's over a billion dollars that Chick-fil-A is missing out on because of not opening on Sundays. But they hold firm to their beliefs of what Sundays mean to them and what it means to their workers. They're, they're saying that, you know, like, 
we could be really rich, but we're trusting in God to take care of us even if we're not open on Sundays. The but if not. See, for Chick-fil-A owner and founder, the revenue uh, and profit and money was probably a statue in his life and he didn't want to focus on that. He wanted to trust in God. Right For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, the moments of praise and the instruments of praise, the harp, the lyre, the flute, those things were meant and designed for God, nothing else. That was, that was a literal statue in their lives. What statue do you have in your life? See, I know I've got plenty in mind too, and if you're thinking, you know, I really can't think of any statues that I have going on in my life. Ask maybe one of your family members or a friend saying, hey, what, what statues do I have? Because maybe it's actually put in plain view, like in the plain of Dura where everyone else can see it, but sometimes you may be blocked by it, right? We have these statues in our lives. See, we were tested at some points where we have to make decisions of are we going to do what God wants us to do or are we going to reform to what the culture values around us? See, because there's going to be things where we're tempted to do something that everyone else says is okay, but if we follow what God says, it, it should be the right thing. The, the but if not, but if not. See, we may not be in situations where we're forced to choose between God and being thrown into a furnace. Right? We're not here in America. We're not forced to choose those things. But how does it relate to your life now? Right? We trust that God can save us. We trust that God is all-powerful and all-knowing and that he can do everything. Right? We trust in him. But the hard part comes in that middle section of the but if not. See, we trust him, and what if we ask for something and he doesn't respond in the way we thought he would? We trust God, but if he doesn't answer us, do we still trust him? Do we still believe him? Are we still going to be brave in knowing that he has everything figured out, that we trust in his grand plan? See, last week, we talked about peace and a God above your circumstance. We know that God is above everything that we could ever imagine. But are we going to trust him in the but if not? See, we hold on to the miraculous God. Um, I was reading an article uh, two weeks ago from a university, uh, a guy in the university of some Christian college down in Texas, and I love how he worded something here. Um, he said that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the power of God, right? They knew what he could do, but they also knew that they could not command the miraculous. They could not command the miraculous. I think that is such an awesome saying because that's something we need to understand, right? We serve an all-knowing God. We serve an all-powerful God. But we, we as people cannot command the miraculous. But the question is, are we okay with that, right? Are we okay with not being able to command things to happen? Are we still going to trust in God? Are we still going to be brave even if that doesn't happen? 
listen to me when we, we talk about these things. We serve a miraculous God. There, he, he is able to do anything and everything. There are miracles that happen all over the place like Dunkirk and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there's things that happen in our everyday lives that we can't even explain. But when we pray for something to happen and it doesn't is when we're put in that situation of, are we going to be brave in the but if not? We know God is miraculous. We know he can do all things but if not, are we still going to trust him? Are we still going to be brave? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the story in Daniel of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they knew that you were a miraculous God, but they also knew that they could not command the miraculous. They knew that you could be there for them. And it's in the but if not that they found hope, that they knew you could do those things. I ask that as we go into our week that we use that same um, obedience and bravery in the but if not, knowing that we will still trust you and we still can be brave even if things don't turn out like we want it to. In your name we pray, amen. I love the words of that song. There's another in the fire standing next to me. It gives this promise that there is a God next to us. Jesus is next to us in the fire. It doesn't say that there won't be fire, there won't be storms, there won't be water that surrounds us in hard times. It says he'll be there next to us in those hard, hard times. Church, don't forget that promise. See, he is with us regardless of what's going on around us. Live in that promise and go with this final blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, go in peace. It is time for the church to leave the building.